0: Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of Revisionist Grizzry, a series under the Core 4 Podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is the host of the Gary Parish Show every day on ESPN 929 from 4 to 6, as well as a college basketball analyst for CBS Sports, none other than Gary Parrish. Gary, how's it going?
1: I'm uh hanging in there. These are wild times for everybody uh from coast to coast and uh so I'm just trying to keep my head above water like everybody else. Trying to work from home and uh handle uh you know having three children, uh, two of whom are young uh, at home 24 hours a day. So it's uh it's complicated, but all things considered we're 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 doing better than most. We're we're healthy, uh we're happy and uh you know, we're looking forward to whenever uh we get to the other side of this wild wild stuff
0: right and uh i got to give a special special props to you because you're doing the homeschool gig i don't have to worry about that right now so good job there
1: you know, it's it's you know I, my wife is handling that side of it more than I am, if I'm being honest. But um, the interesting thing about this is that you know my little dudes. I mean, my three year old's three, so like you know his his schoolwork is is it is what it is. But you know we do have a kindergartner who's six years old, and then I have a junior at Lausanne. And normally we don't have to worry about him at all because, you know, he's up, he's out the door, he's at school all day long. He's a really good student, a really bright young man. But this online learning has probably been, um, more difficult than any of us anticipated. And so I find myself having to stay on him more than I did when he was actually in school, even though he's just upstairs working because, you know, like, um, it's, just, it's just, he is being asked to to learn and all of his classmates all and, and kids all across the country in a way that is, uh, is just not normal. And you lose the structure of getting out the door at a certain time, being somewhere, being around other people, you lose all of that. and so so I was really frustrated with him at at, at first because, you know, he was slipping a little bit just in terms of focus. But I've talked to other parents about it. And it seems to be across the board, like all of the the, the high school students are... Um, you know, having to adjust to this in real time, the teachers as well. So um, it's actually got more complicated, the, the school part, because I'm, I'm having to, yeah, stay on the six-year-old and the three-year-old, but also the 17-year-old. So it's a juggling act, but it's not unique to me and my family. Like I said, um, there's nobody that hasn't been impacted by this pandemic one way or another.
0: Right. And uh, yeah, I'm honestly, I'm lucky that I'm not in school having to do this online learning because I did online classes in college and that was always such a tough transition from just sitting in a classroom to where everything's just kind of all you and you're having to really teach yourself everything. So, but yeah. like you said, we're lucky, we're healthy and we're blessed to be here. And, um, so I just want to dive in on this, uh, re- revisionist history, probably the biggest what if in franchise history and that is the 2009 draft specifically. The Hashin the Beat pick. So everyone knows how that turned out. Hashin the Beat was absolutely terrible. In Memphis, he played 113 games, averaging 11.1 minutes per game, a whopping 2.3 points, 2.7 rebounds, and 0.8 blocks. And he only lasted 224 games in his career, um, averaging 2.2 points, 2.7 rebounds, and 0.8 blocks, and 10 and a half minutes per game. And he was out of the league by year five. So, Gary, you were probably in the circles around this draft. And I guess the question that many people want to know is just like, why the beat? I mean, was it one of those things where they weren't sure about Gasol or was it just they were so bought into the beat being this Dikembe Matumbo like presence?
1: I, I do think they believed in Hashim to be, and revisionist history has kind of, um, you know, judged him incorrectly. Like uh, clearly, he was a bust, and he's one of the biggest busts of all time, and he's the biggest Grizzlies bust of all time. But it's not like the Grizzlies reached way further to draft him at number two than a lot of franchises would have. Like clearly, people would have passed on him. Clearly, people in Memphis were screaming, "Pass on him!" But it's not like he would have slipped to ten. You know, so he would have been a mistake anywhere he would have been picked. And I was doing a lot of Googling, looking up stuff. Honestly, I was trying to look at my, what I thought about this, you know, back then, because again, it's easy in the year 2020 to go, I would have never taken Hashim to beat, but like, what were you saying two days before that draft? Were you saying the same stuff? So I was looking up, like what did I think about Hashim to beat? What did I think about other people? What, what was the general consensus and somehow I stumbled into a blog that seemed to be a Raptors-connected blog, like a, it was a, a message board, rather, and they had linked a mock draft that wasn't mine, but it had Hashim to be slipping to seven in this mock draft. And the reaction from, again, I believe it was Raptors fans, on that thread was like, there's no way he's slipping to seven. Like, I'd love it if he slipped to seven, but there's no way he's slipping to seven. So I do think it's important to remember that context. Like, um, he was drafted second. It was a mistake. If he'd have been drafted 22nd, it would have been a mistake. But he wasn't slipping too far, too much further um, than, than, than number two. Like, he, he, he might have slipped to six or seven, but, like, he wasn't going very far. Um, uh, as for what the Grizzlies were thinking, um, it, it's remarkable to look back on because what they thought was that you don't take a point guard because you're set at point guard with Mike Conley. And you and, and what they wanted was a rim-protecting center, uh, a defensive-minded center to shore up that end of the court and, and to beat, at least on paper, you know, uh, filled that need. Uh, first and foremost, I would always say, and I've said this for years, even before that draft, you do not dr- pick. At number two for need you pick best player period whoever you think is going to have the best career you start drafting for need you start making mistakes especially that high in the draft once upon a time famously um you know a franchise had Clyde Drexler already so they didn't need a shooting guard so they passed on Michael Jordan well like yeah having Clyde Drexler is awesome but like having Michael Jordan is even better so you always take the player that you think is going to have the best career so i don't even like the grizzlies mindset there that we need a defensive-minded center we already have a point guard so let's just take um hashim to be what makes it even more incredible with the benefit of hindsight is that they just couldn't have been more wrong and and even the way they analyzed it was wrong first and foremost they had a future defensive player of the year at center on the roster already. And yes, I'm a believer in Mike Conley, but I would say about Mike Conley, the same thing you would say about Clyde Drexler, like having Mike Conley is great unless you can draft somebody better. And obviously there were multiple point guards in that draft who ended up being better Than Mike Conley so the idea that you wouldn't take Steph Curry or James Harden because you already have Mike Conley uh, that's just that's just a dumb way to approach it unless you genuinely don't believe in those players Um, I can't speak to what the Grizzlies thought of those players I know some people in the franchise were really a big fans of Steph Curry others were not but um, it's just an all-time mistake one that uh, you know it, it, it won't hurt the franchise forever um, clearly, uh, the, the future seems bright right now, but if you start thinking through what that franchise could have looked like with a different guy, with Steph Curry instead of Hashim to beat, with James Harden instead of Hashim to beat, even with DeMar DeRozan instead of Hashim to beat, you just get, you know, the, the, the past 10 years look a little look a little different.
0: Right. And. Um, that's always the questions brought up. It's like, why not James Harden? Why not Steph Curry? Imagine how it would be with either one of them. And so you mentioned Mike Conley too. Like, you know, you could have Mike Conley, but Steph Curry would have been way better, obviously. And also too, one thing that people don't really remember as far as this whole hindsight thing is OJ Mayo was supposed to be a superstar. I mean, he put up a historic rookie season and he would have won Rookie of the Year any other year except he was going up against Derrick Rose, who won the MVP by like year three or four. So that's when it kind of got tricky with you know James Harden or even Tyreek Evans is it interfered with not only O.J. Mayo, but Rudy Gay, who is a 21, 22-year-old 20-point 20 scorer? So you already had two electrifying scores on the wing. You had your young point guard. So there's that overlap. So do you think that kind of – forced the Grizzlies to draft for need when it came to Hisham to beat.
1: Uh, well, it certainly didn't force them to because you're not forced to do anything. It, it, it might have influenced them to do it, and I would just say that it, if if so, and clearly it it was so, um, it was a mistake. Like thinking you are set at certain positions, so you don't take a superior prospect. Instead, you draft for need. Like I could understand drafting for need at number twenty-seven or number thirty-four. You don't draft for need at number two. You draft for stardom at number two. Um, I don't, like, like, right now the Warriors have Steph Curry. If there was a clear-cut future all-star at point guard available to them in the 2020 NBA draft, you take him. It doesn't matter. Like, you figure it out. Guys can learn how to play together. Like, this idea, uh, really the only thing you can't do in the NBA right now is play two traditional bigs. And it's very hard to do that, but you can play two point guard. You can play three guard. You can play, um, you know, if you want to get really tricky, you can play four guard lineups. You can play without a center. There's a million ways to play this sport. So I, I just I don't care about positional needs. Uh, it's easier to say um, today than it was back then. But it was even true. Uh, it was even true back then. And um, I will say when I went back and looked at you know what what I thought the Grizzlies should do or what I thought any NBA franchise should do um here's what I found that at some point before that draft I had a column in which I I, you know was a bunch of different categories and at one point I said um here are here in in five years the best players from this draft will be and I and I ranked them and number one I had Blake Griffin number two I had DeMar DeRozan and number three I had Steph Curry like, that's what I wrote before that draft. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend I would have said draft James Harden. I would have just said draft Steph Curry. I, I, I might not have. In fact, in real time, I didn't. But I did say draft DeMar DeRozan instead of Hashim Tabeet. And though DeRozan is not an MVP like Steph Curry and James Harden, you know, he is a four-time All-Star. He's made All-NBA twice. He won a gold medal in 2016. So, like, DeMar DeRozan... Like, that's that's what I had. Now, that would have been a mistake because it wouldn't have been James Harden or Steph Curry. But even DeMar DeRozan is wildly better than taking a shim to beat there, and if that interferes with your current roster of Rudy Gay and OJ, I don't care about that at all. Like you just the 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 common thread between awesome NBA teams is not style of play, it's not dominant centers, it's not incredible point guards, it's awesome players. The more, the better. Um, you know, people didn't know exactly how LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh would work in Miami. Like, how does that all fit together? It, you, it'll fit together fine as soon as they figure it out. Get as many awesome players as possible. And the Grizzlies' biggest mistake in that draft was that I don't think they focused on getting the player with the – uh, best chance to be awesome they focused on getting the player that they believe fit best with their current roster and the idea that you would do that with a roster that you know maybe had some potential on paper but certainly wasn't like you know reigning you know w- w- a western conference finalist roster um just uh, it's again a, it's a colossal mistake and one thing that's easy to
0: point to with this draft is everybody just would have been like man if they would have drafted Harden or Curry, or even like you said, DeRozan, the Grizzlies, the G&G Grizzlies would have won an NBA title. But are we even sure that they reached their apex here? Because I kind of look at it in the sense of you had OJ Mayo, you had Mike Conley, you had Rudy Gay, and you would have thrown in another wing or another point guard. Like what if you traded the wrong guy? Or what if you do ship out like a Mike Conley or a Rudy Gay or even – Worse, you ship out like one of three between Curry, DeRozan, and Harden, and you get the wrong trade package. Like you just get a trade package where you clearly lose. Do you think their apex is reached in Memphis?
1: Well, uh, listen, I I think a roster with with Steph Curry on it is better than any roster they would have, you know, that that, that they ever actually had. Um, I would guess to your larger um, hypothetical, I'd say that, like, that's all part of it. Like, you know, like Oklahoma City did an amazing job drafting once upon a time. They get Kevin Durant, they get Russell Westbrook, they get James Harden, and then what did they do? They did exactly what you just described. They they, they kept the wrong pieces and they got rid of, you know, the the wrong pieces. Like, they, they, they had it and then they messed it up. And so the trick isn't just getting it. It's a 2 part at the very least it's a two-part thing every time you've got to get it and then you've got to know what's what you have to keep and what you have to um to move for other pieces and so you know what does Oklahoma City do if instead of um going the route that they went they figure out a way to keep James Harden on a roster on a roster with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant like maybe they are are you know world champions multiple times um, you know, so like whatever the grit and grind Grizzlies became the core four and all of that, um, just trust me when I tell you, I'd have been willing to not have it to take a shot on what it looked like with Steph Curry, you know, coming up the court, winning multiple, uh, I- MVPs. And so I'd be willing to, I guess I'd put it this way. If you draft Steph Curry in 2009, perhaps you don't stumble into the core four as we now know it to be with Mike Conley and Tony Allen and Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph, if only because if you draft Steph Curry, maybe that is what leads you a couple years later three years later to moving on from Mike Conley. Because remember, Steph Curry wasn't Steph Curry immediately. Steph Curry was hurt um, early in his career. That's why Golden State got him on that wildly, um, you know, uh, like with the benefit of hindsight, really beneficial, franchise beneficial uh, contract. So you wouldn't have known Mike Conley was Mike – I mean, you wouldn't have known Steph Curry was Steph Curry like the second he (laughs) – you know, started playing the way we knew John ja Morant is John ja Morant pretty quickly into his rookie season. It had taken you a little longer to figure out that Steph Curry is, 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 you know, a future hall of famer, two-time MVP. But once you figure that out, um, does it lead to the core four not existing? Cause you move Mike Conley. Maybe I'd say probably. Um, and you know, um, I guess I'd also say I'd be willing to do that. You know, Mike Conley is all-time leader in, in, in points and assists and steals. You know, he's somebody who should have his number retired in, in Memphis uh, someday. But if you told me um, I could have had Steph Curry on the roster instead of Mike Conley all those years, yeah, I'd gladly trade it because, you know, Mike Conley's a lot of things. But he's not a two-time MVP. He's not a future Hall of Famer. Um, Steph Curry is so whatever it would have done drafting Steph Curry or even James Harden whatever that would have done to the core four I'd have been willing to do it
0: right and like you said with Steph's injury it's another added thing of like you know moving on from the wrong guy or whatever because he did ink that good deal but he could have been hurt all those years and the Grizzlies are just like all right, well we don't have time for this guy we gotta win now and they let him walk in free agency, and he goes over to another team to star, And that's an even bigger what if. Or, yeah, well, or James Harden, I mean, he had to play next to Durant and Westbrook. He was the third option. And then he also had some pretty colossal playoff mistakes, even in his – that's also kind of translated to now. I mean, the Grizzlies could have moved on from him and kept – I mean, you know, James Harden should, could have just become O.J. Mayo. Like, he could have been a guy that – He fell into that six-man role, and then he had to move on somewhere else. And then next thing you know, he's James Harden somewhere else. So that's another added hindsight thing that I see into it as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, all of these hypotheticals are, you know, you could go down a a million different paths with them. I guess I would just, you know, sort of double down on the idea that it's important not to make those mistakes. Like, this is always at least a two-part process. Um, You know, make sure you draft the right guys, and then make sure – you identify what they are properly when you have them and, you know, you try to keep the future MVPs and get rid of uh, the lesser players. And so if the Grizzlies would have maybe uh, not recognized James Harden's talent early on and then moved on at some point or um, not believed in Steph Curry because he was injured early in his career, well, those would have been two, you know, fireable offenses. You know, that, that's the trick to this stuff. You need to know – um, you, you got to see into the future a little bit. Now, everybody makes mistakes. You know, like Sam Presti in Oklahoma City is considered one of the best. You know, he's also the guy who moved on from James Harden. Like, that's, that's, that's an undeniable mistake. So, you know, everybody's going to make those mistakes. Uh, it's just the franchises that make uh, less of them tend to do better over time. And so, I, 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 you know, I would have just, I, I guess, let's get Steph Curry or James Harden or even DeMar DeRozan. Into the you know, uh, into the franchise in the 2009 NBA draft, and then um, let's try not to mess it up. But when you don't even have a chance to mess it up, well, then you you messed up right from the jump. Absolutely, and I do want to dive
0: into um, two more re- realistic options at the time. Um, you know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. I was 12 years old at the time, so I wasn't this big. You know, I wasn't doing what I do now. I did live in message boards and I listened to the post game show all the time, but I wasn't necessarily super knowledgeable. I had to just go off highlights and whatever I saw in March Madness. But I specifically remember two names, and that's Ricky Rubio and Tyreek Evans. So with Rubio, he was almost like Luca without the social media hype. Like I remember he got a lot of hype. He was getting all these like pistol Pete comps. There's all these highlights about his passing. He was going to be a generational point guard. And I remember the Grizzlies were connected to him for a little bit until like all those rumblings of him not wanting to be in Memphis and him refusing to come to Memphis. And then you also had Tyreek Evans, who had just had a very strong outing with the Tigers. And he would have been an exciting six man because you could have slotted him in at the one and played him next to OJ Mayo and Rudy Gay. You could have put him at the two. You could have even put him in the three in small ball situations. And also, too, the Grizzlies franchise at that time, it wasn't exciting at all. I I had season tickets. Nobody went to games. And you would have brought in a Memphis Tiger who would have at least, he would have at least put butts in the seats because people recognize, oh, that's Memphis Tiger Tyreek Evans, and now he's a Grizzly. So, were, would you say that those two were also probably two and three behind the beat at the time?
1: Well, I, I'll tell you, um, you know, if you look at the actual draft order, how it unfolded, it was Blake Griffin, one number two, ashamed to beat number three, James Harden, number four, Tyreek Evans, number five, Ricky Rubio. Um I did not have Tyreek Evans or Ricky Rubio in my top five. Now uh, I should probably just leave this out because I don't know who would look it up, but in the spirit of transparency, um, I did have Hashim beat in my top five. Uh, My top five were Blake Griffin, DeMar DeRozan, Steph Curry, Hashim beat, James Harden was five. So I I will argue that my top five is better than the actual top five, but, but I did have to beat in the top five, and that was clearly a mistake. For my purposes, the Grizzlies would have never touched him because they would have taken a Rosen or Curry. But still, uh, you know, I, I had to beat in my top five. Uh, Ty Evans, you're exactly right. I was an option that people discussed at number two. Ricky Rubio was also an option that people discussed at, at number two. Um, and, you know, either of them would have been better then Hashim to beat. Um, I I don't know if I'm certain Tyreek Evans would have put butts in the seats to any sort of, uh, in any sort of way that mattered in, uh, you know, significantly, Uh, you know, that's something that, that, you know, people have said for, uh, I guess, since the Grizzlies got here, like if you, if you, if you had tigers, then, you know, uh, people would show up in, in ways that they otherwise won't. And I guess I'd say, to that like if you had derrick rose sure like you know but um antonio burks was on the team nobody really cared he was a memphis kid who was a conference player of the year um uh, you know lorenzen wright was on the team i don't know how much that mattered in terms of butts to seat so the key wouldn't have been getting a tiger as much as it would have been getting an awesome player now it is important to remember that after one year you know after the 2009 10 season um you know Tyreek Evans was the rookie of the year. Uh, you know he was thought to be a, a you know maybe um, you know I guess we hadn't seen Blake Griffin yet, but he was thought to be man that looked like a good pick at at at, at number four. Now with the benefit of the hindsight, he should not have been a, a top four pick. But after one year at least, he he looked the part. And so um, the, the, whether the Grizzlies would have ended up with Steph Curry, James Harden, DeMar DeRozan, Ricky Rubio. Tyreek Evans like there's a bunch of totally reasonable options there what is amazing about the 2002 draft I mean 2009 draft is that there was so many there was so many proper doors to walk through like think of it in these terms if there's there's 10 doors in front of you right and nine of them have good things on the other side and only one has something bad on the other side. So nine of them have heaven, if you will. And, and one of them has a a, 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 a you know a hell. Uh, and I'm not even a religious person, so I don't even know why I'm talking about this. But like, you'll get the point. Um, like it's, it's hard to find the bad door when, when 90% of the doors have good things on the other side. Somehow in the 2009 draft, there were so many good doors. There were doors that were better than others. The Steph Curry door was better than the DeMar DeRozan door and the DeMar DeRozan door was better than the Tyreek Evans door, but there was a lot of good doors and they just walked through the wrong one. I mean, it was, there was, even if you didn't get, get it right at number two, there was still like things you could feel okay about or things that would benefit your franchise long-term. They literally selected the one guy that was under consideration with the second pick in the draft who helped you in no way whatsoever. Like, that's hard to do. It's one thing when you look at these drafts and you go, yeah, you know, they they got a bomb at number four, but, like, who's really great after number four? You know, maybe, like, some second rounder that turned into something special. There's a lot of drafts like that. It's another thing when you're picking second – and there are five future All-Stars selected below number two. Two MVPs selected below number two. And not only do you not even get like a rotation player, you don't get anything. I mean, you get a complete bomb. That's what makes that one of the all-time misses. It's not just that you drafted a bomb at number two. It's that you drafted a bomb at number two and there were five All-Stars, future All-Stars available. Like you could pick any of these future all-stars or a bomb and you pick the bomb. You could pick one of these two future MVPs or a bomb and you pick the bomb. It is just, it's as I'm even talking about it all these years later, it's just remarkable to think about.
0: Oh yeah. It's, it's always going to be something that haunts Christie's fans. Um, I can't say it haunts me as much just because of the excitement I had at the time. I mean, I remember, it wasn't even that. It was like they drafted Hashim to beat Damari Carroll and Sam Young. And those were all supposed to be like at least two or three of the best defensive prospects in the whole entire draft, not including that Hashim the beat was probably the best one. And then just the fact of you pair a defensive minded center, who's really on offense, just going to be in the paint and collect the rebounds and, just dump off dunks while you have your perimeter guys, OJ Mayo, Rudy Gay, Mike Conley, doing what they need to do. Oh, and then on top of that, that's the same draft where the got Zach Randolph and that weird little trade where it was like Darko Milicic for Quentin Richardson and Quentin Richardson for Zach Randolph. So, like, on paper, you look at it after this draft and you're like, wow, that's a very formidable five. But obviously, you put it perfectly, they drafted the bum. That's just something that most people aren't going to live down. But, I mean, here's hoping that this next-gen Grizzlies team can kind of just erase any other fear and what-if regarding that. I mean, hey, it looks like they finally made a right decision at two this time.
1: Yeah, they, they got this one right for sure. And, you know, it, you know it's, it's important to note that franchise is being run by different people. It's got a different owner. You know, and by the way, the the previous owner was a big – like he was a believer in Hashim to beat. I, I don't know that he was the driving force behind that pick, but it's certainly been made out that way in, in certain circles. So new owner or different owner – it's not new now, but different owner, different front office, and front office that now has a pretty pretty impressive track record. Like I'm sure they will make mistakes going forward – Um, like I said all front offices do this is not easy stuff but they seem to make fewer mistakes than than their predecessors Um, it seems to be the most impressive front office the Grizzlies have ever had is the front office that the Grizzlies have right now and so it's not just drafting John Morant like anybody would have drafted John I shouldn't say anybody some people would have maybe taken R.J. Barrett but most people would have drafted John Morant number two. Um, I don't know that you get a medal for that one. But moving up to get Brandon Clark looks brilliant. Um, you know, some of the other moves that they've made, you know, getting D'Anthony Mel- Melton looks really smart. Um, the Jaron Jackson pick, you know, we could debate whether it should have been Trey Young instead of Jaron Jackson, but it's not one that you – necessarily want to undo right now. Um, There's some thought around the league that Trey Young, you know, might be in more all-star games than Jaron Jackson Jr. But does he impact winning more than Jaron Jackson Jr.? I'm not sure. You know, we'll see. They're both still very, very young. But if I'm a Grizzlies fan, I can feel very good about, you know, where the franchise is right now and the direction it seems to be headed. Coincidentally, earlier today, Rick Kamla, who works for NBA TV, tweeted um his top young cores in the nba Um, and he defined that as players under the age of 25 and he had the pelicans one he had the hawks two he had the grizzlies three like if you have a top three young core in the nba it usually suggests that that good things are on the way and so I think that's one thing that makes it easier, the two thousand nine draft. It makes it easier to get over that. Um is because like, you know, it's it's over with. Like whatever impact that big mistake made on the franchise, um we now know that it's not impossible to recover from. It it probably cost the Grizzlies uh, wins along the way, playoff appearances along the way, um in, in some cases maybe a future MVP. But, you know, you fast forward to present day and that franchise is uh, that franchise is in a good place. It's a little bit like, um, you know, if you are if you're divorced, but then 11 years later, happily married and in the best place, you know, um, that you've ever been set up for an incredible long term future, it makes your disaster of a first wedding um, marriage. Um, uh, uh, it makes it hurt a little less, I would assume. I've never been through that, but I would assume. So that's where the Grizzlies are right now. They had an impossible, disastrous marriage with Hashim to beat. But fast forward to 2020, if you'll play along with the analogy, um, they're now happily married. Uh, they're in the best place they've ever been and set up to, to have the best years they've ever had uh, going forward. So that's, uh, that's all good stuff
0: right, and that's really the premise of this series is to highlight you know the you know the nightmare scenarios uh nightmare situations that happen with the Grizzlies, both in terms of like what's we're seeing how far this organization's come, but also too just looking into where they could have been, you know like you know if they didn't have John Moran, if they didn't have Jaron Jackson jr or if they messed up the micro mark trades who knows but even though there's that pain of the 2009 draft here in 2020 we have every reason to believe and very little reason to doubt the ones making the decision and the players that the grizzlies are building this organization around and so gary um do you have any final thoughts
1: yeah i I guess i would just say that it um You know, it's one of those things that has been frustrating as you watch Steph Curry become what he became and watch James Harden become what he became. Um, But it's less frustrating now because um, you've got a John Morant future. You've got a Jaron Jackson Jr. future. So it's it's just one of those things that will always be a, a significant chapter, total misstep in Grizzlies history. But again, you look up in 2020 and and this franchise is, I think you can reasonably argue, not just better position to do great things than it's ever been, but better position to do greater things than most people are, most franchises are, are positioned right now. So um, these are good times to be a Grizzlies fan. Obviously, we're not playing games right now, but eventually we will. And when we get right back to it, um, you know, you're going to see a, Uh, you're going to be reminded very quickly that the franchise is is in a good place I don't know if I would have said that a year ago I don't know if I would have said it um, you know the day before uh, the Grizzlies finished second in the lottery and put themselves in a position to uh, select John Morant but I I feel comfortable uh, saying it right now the franchise is uh, it's gone through some rough stuff and I'm sure that's You know, somewhere down the road as well. It seems to happen to everybody other than the Spurs, but uh, right now, good times. These are, these are, these are, it's got a chance to be the best Grizzlies years we've ever had, you know, coming up over the next four, five, six, seven years.
0: Absolutely. And uh, Gary, let the people know where they can find you and your work.
1: Um, Well, you know, I obviously uh, work for 929 FM ESPN, that's the afternoon drive show from Ford Six. Um, I write. CBS Sports.com. I do television for CBS Sports and CBS Sports Network. So I'm all over the place and it's uh, it's easy to just start at Twitter, uh, at Gary Parish CBS and, and everything can branch out from there.
0: Awesome. I appreciate it, Gary. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the core four podcast with the number four, not the word four. And be sure to follow uh, Grizzly Bear Blues on Twitter at and Grizzlies. Read its content at grizzlybearblues.com and make sure you're tuning in to every new episode of the Core 4 Podcast, GBB Live, and the 3D Podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. And with that, we'll see you later.